0: I am Brother Cornel West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D., Public Enemy Property Rage. And this is Newsbeat.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer, audio editor, and host of the award winning Newsbeat podcast, where we love to correct false historical narratives through our unique blend of independent journalism music, and, very often, original lyrical contributions from brilliant hip-hop artists. Now, we're releasing this drop in tandem with the annual drop of our inaugural episode, MLK, What They Won't Teach in School, which helps highlight the life, mission, and true legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as the world commemorates his birthday. Now, for this episode, we're focusing on the lesser recognized struggles of his final days before his murder, supporting the Memphis sanitation strike, prompted in part by two workers being crushed to death by a garbage truck compactor. Now breathing life into this incredibly important yet grossly ignored chapter of MLK's legacy are Michael Honey, an award-winning author, historian, Guggenheim fellow and Haley professor of Humanities at the University of Washington, Tacoma where he teaches African-American civil rights and labor history and specializes in work on Martin Luther King jr. and our good friend Lawrence Larry Ham, a lifelong activist and the chairman of the Newark, New Jersey-based nonprofit, people's organization for progress. Now, I just want to remind you that all of our communications to the world now emanate from our free Substack newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com. So please sign up now to receive new episodes, updates, bonus content, and so much more. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Send us an email at usnewsbeat at gmail.com, or feel free to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. All right, here it is. This is MLK's last month, Memphis.
2: Dr. Martin Luther King's massive downtown march on Memphis is now underway. Several thousand Negroes are marching toward City Hall at this time. Dr. King arrived from the Memphis Metropolitan Airport just a short time before the march was scheduled to get underway. Several thousand Negro demonstrators are participating in this largest civil rights demonstration ever in Memphis, Tennessee. Many of the demonstrators are carrying the sign, I am a man. They stretch out for several blocks. Police are on hand with about 600 officers. Almost the entire force is standing by here in case any trouble might break out.
0: If we want to think about why King came to Memphis, it's important to look at his evolution. When he got the Nobel Peace Prize, he said that People everywhere should have three meals a day for their bodies, education for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits." Well that's definitely an economic framework. He said uh, at his speech against the Vietnam War on April 4th, 1967, we're moving from a thing-oriented to a person-oriented society. He also said, before you can come up with a cure, you first have to know the disease. So. King started talking a lot about American capitalism. This wasn't new, actually. He had been talking about this from the early fifties when he was a graduate student in Boston and when he was courting Coretta King. They talked about Marxist frameworks of capitalism. He said he wasn't a Marxist because he didn't, because he was a spiritual person who believed in God, but he was a Marxist in that he had a strong critique of American capitalism. And as he went on, after the Voting Rights Act of 65 and the Civil Rights Act of 64, he started moving into the terrain of economic justice.
3: We read one day, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness but if a man doesn't have a job or an income he has neither life nor liberty and the possibility for the pursuit of happiness
4: You begin to see this evolution, King moving to take a more radical position on issues. He's critical of colonialism and imperialism as being the roots of the war in Vietnam. In that book he writes in 1966, uh, where do we go chaos or community? He's talking about systemic change. He says we need, and this is a quote, we need a radical transformation. Of our socioeconomic system. He says in that book, we need a radical these this is these are quotes. We need a radical distribution, radical distribution. of power and wealth in this country. These, these are quotes. These are quotes. So he's looking now uh through a different lens, not focused just on civil rights, but focused on human rights and focused more on systemic. He begins to say publicly what I think he knew privately, that the roots of poverty that he was concerned about in this country were really in the capitalist and imperialist economic system.
0: What he said was, in order for us to do anything about our condition, we have to be able to vote, we have to have rights in the court, we have to have equality at a political and legal level, but that doesn't solve our problem. Our problem essentially goes back to the history of slavery and being unpaid labor in America. And his great, great, great grandfather was a slave. And so he grew up in Atlanta with his father coming out of sharecropping in the countryside. All around him in the neighborhood he lived were plenty of very poor people. He always had what he called a kinship with the poor. The media portrayed him at the time as a quote civil rights leader but he said people think that's what I am they don't understand what I'm doing. The Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act was stage one of the freedom struggle. Stage two is to get some economic justice for black people in America but also for Native Americans poor whites, Puerto Ricans on down the list of people who are dispossessed. When he came to Memphis in 1968, there was a huge list of dispossessed people in the United States. He told the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1966, we've got to begin to ask questions about the whole society. We're called upon to help the discouraged beggars in life's marketplace, but one day we must also come to see that an edifice that produces beggars needs restructuring. A year later, he said, something is wrong with capitalism as it now exists in the United States. A radical redistribution of power must take place.
3: In February 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, some 1,300 sanitation workers, members of Local 1733, of the american federation of state county and municipal employees began a strike we felt like we would have
2: to let the city know that because we were sanitation workers we were human beings the signs that we were carrying said that i am a man then we was going to demand to have the same dignity and the same
0: courtesy any other citizen of Memphis had. And so when he came to Memphis to speak on March 18, 1968, he was organizing what he called the Poor People's Campaign. And his idea with that was to put in to Congress uh, an economic uh, bill of rights for the disadvantaged and also to stop the Vietnam War. And he saw the Vietnam War as one of the essential problems in trying to solve poverty in America. The United States was spending its energy and its money on war uh, against poor people in a peasant country, people of color, uh, Vietnamese, Cambodians, and others. And he saw it as a racist war and also a war against the poor. And he said we should recognize it as such.
3: So I was increasingly compelled to see the war as an enemy of the poor, and to attack it as such. Perhaps a more tragic recognition of reality took place, and it became clear to me that the war was doing far more than devastating the hopes of the poor at home. It was sending their sons and their brothers and their husbands to fight and to die in extraordinarily high proportions relative to the rest of the population. We were taking the black young men who had been crippled by our society and sending them 8,000 miles away to guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in Southwest Georgia and East Holland.
0: The Memphis story it's just as important as say the Montgomery bus boycott story. Uh, Montgomery bus boycott was also 80% of the people there were poor people. Who's riding the buses? Maids, service workers, janitors, and so forth. These were the people that King really related to, uh, so well was the working poor. And that's launched his sort of leadership role. But this is something he was always concerned about as a minister. He was contacted by people
4: out of Memphis. The sanitation workers were, first of all, they were being paid slave wages. And secondly, their work was very dangerous. They had had more than one incident where the black sanitation workers had been killed in these giant uh, compacting, garbage compacting machine. And so they were trying to uh, organize a union and they asked Dr. King to to come down and speak.
0: I've been talking with Dr. Martin Luther King
2: about his support and about his coming in order to both identify the struggle with himself and to help the people in the community identify the struggle in terms of a nonviolent campaign.
4: Now, Dr. King's co-workers, you know, his, his advisors Andy Young and, and, and Ralph Abernathy and others did not want King to go. And they say this themselves. Young says it himself, even to this day. He's still alive. They have, um, said that they did not want King to go to Memphis. They wanted him to stay focused on the Poor People's Campaign and this project that they were engaged in to march on Washington DC and set up this tent city and so forth. But King said that his conscience could not, would not keep him from going to Memphis.
3: You are demanding that this city will respect
0: the dignity of
3: labor. So often, we overlook the worth and the significance of those who are not in professional jobs, yeah. of those who are not in the so-called big jobs. But let me say to you tonight that whenever you are engaged in work, that serves humanity and is for the building of humanity, it has dignity and it has
4: worth.
0: When he came to Memphis, they had a strike going uh, that had been going on for about six weeks. They were lagging. They had a lot of conflicts with the police. The police beat people up during one of the demonstrations. We saw the march and we moved down there and uh, police cars were used to harass us and push
3: us around. And This was a turning point. I don't know who it was. Somebody hollered and said, break it up. And they just broke right on us. And honest it for God And they sprayed so much that stuff down my collar until I could feel it. look looked like running down my back. My eyes. They shot the stuff in both my eyes. Couldn't see nothing.
0: They were having trouble developing unity. King's specialty was unifying people into coalitions. In Memphis, for example, these black workers who were on strike, 1300 of them, had been organizing for years in the sanitation department. Their issues were simple enough. They didn't make enough money to live on. They had to get help from churches and anti-poverty funds. They didn't have work clothes. They can't. They didn't have any set hours. They worked eight, 10 hours. In Memphis, it rains a lot. And so if it got rainy, you would have to uh, hide somewhere. You had no facilities to go to. And there was an incident that occurred in February, early February, where two black workers uh, took shelter in the back of a sanitation truck where a packer comes down and mashes all of the, the garbage. And something went wrong with the truck, and they got mashed just like the garbage, and they were killed. And that set off the strike. The workers met. They said, we're not taking this anymore. Uh, this is a story for our own times in, in many ways. Um, the people trying to organize in the warehouses and retail and other you know, low-wage jobs in the United States, they have have a similar problem of not being recognized, not given the dignity of being able to represent themselves. And at the end of the speech, he said, you people in Memphis are together enough and strong enough, you ought to just have a general work stoppage in the city of Memphis.
3: Never forget that freedom not something that is voluntarily given by the oppressor. It is something that must be demanded by the oppressed. You may have to escalate the struggle a bit. If they keep refusing and they will not recognize the union and will not agree I'd the check off of the collection of dues, i tell you
2: what you ought to do, and you're together here
3: enough to do it. In a few days, you ought to get together and just have a general work stoppage in the city of Memphis.
0: If the teachers stopped working, if the students walked out of school, if all the workers who do all the various tasks in Memphis walked out, Memphis would stop. Because in fact, black people did most of the work most of the menial sort of work in in Memphis so he proposed a general strike uh, of labor black labor uh, but also inviting the other unions to support that and so then he had gotten himself into it and they said well now you have to come back and and lead a march and lead a lead a day opening up of a general strike When he got there on March 28th, they had um, a delayed march because he was so late getting there. His plane was delayed. The march was supposed to start at 8 a.m. It didn't start till after 10. Huge crowds gathered. There was an incident at a local high school where uh, the students walked out and the police beat them up. Students came to the march. Rumors started that a black student had been killed, which wasn't true, but she had been sent to the hospital. So when the march got started, it got very disorganized. And then there were a lot of street people who were unhappy because the strike had also included a boycott of all the businesses downtown. And so they saw this as an opportunity to break windows and steal liquor and uh, clothing and so forth, particularly on Bill Street, which had a lot of small businesses. So they did and then some of the students were already so angry uh, that they started doing similar things too.
2: chaos has just broken out downtown. All right, Negro youth are smashing windows. That sound you just heard was the sound of a tear gas fired by a police officer in an attempt to thwart this unruly demonstration. We repeat, several Negro youths started running down Main Street, smashing windows as they ran.
0: But it was kind of a minor thing compared to the urban uprisings that we saw all through the 60s, like Detroit, 67. But the police saw it as a great opportunity, and they waited, and it started beating the hell out of everybody.
2: Nearly every store has had its windows shattered. police. Russians have seen almost struck a pedestrian. They're moving in with riot guns and tear gas canisters. The police have just been given orders. We see them now. I'm at Maine and so looking south on Maine. The police have just been given instructions to break up the march. This has been a wild, unruly
0: crime. And then they went even beyond the march and started going into cafes, pulling black people out of cafes, beating them up. They went into a poor people's housing area and murdered a black teenager who had his hands in the air uh it, it became horrible and so then everybody accused king of being the one who caused it
2: and i understand was that martin luther king he has de- he has deserted the march he has left the march
0: and martin luther
2: king has left the
0: march in this sense of these young people to the business district uh, along Seventh Street, where heaven knows I have enough grievance. Well, I can. Under your control, out of your line, miles away from. Yeah. Division.
3: Well, let me say this very honestly: riots are here. Riots are a part of the ugly atmosphere of our society now. I cannot guarantee that riots will not take place this summer. I can only guarantee that our demonstration will not be violent. I can only guarantee that the activities that we uh, engage in will not be geared toward any kind of violent response. Now, if riots take place, uh, it will not be the responsibility of Martin Luther King or the Southern Christian Leadership Conference.
0: Of course, this is the worst thing he could ever imagine leading a, a march that turned into this and people even being killed. So then he had to come back. That's what he was doing in Nephis on April 3rd, giving this To the Mountaintop speech, his last prophetic speech where he basically almost said he was gonna be murdered. He seemed to have a premonition of what was gonna happen. I may not get to the promised land, but we as a people will get to the promised land.
3: Something is happening in Memphis, something is happening in our world. Now what does all of this mean in this great period of history? It means that we've got to stay together. We've got to stay together and maintain unity. You know, whenever Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula for doing it. What was that? He kept the slaves fighting among themselves. But whenever the slaves get together, something happens in Pharaoh's court, and he cannot hold the slaves in slavery. When the slaves get together, that's the beginning of getting out of slavery. When we have our march, you need to be there. If it means leaving work, if it means leaving school, be there. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on track, but either we go up together or we go down together. The question is not, if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? the question is if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers what will happen to them that's the question
0: and uh, then the next day was assassinated and remember they did win the strike in the end we lost King but they won the strike
3: and to be sure that all of the bags were checked and to be sure that Nothing would be wrong on the plane. We had to check out everything carefully. And we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got into Memphis. And some began to say the threats. i talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
4: It fit the trajectory of what Dr. King was trying to do. Dr. King realized that His movement had to have a class base and that labor was part of that class base. Dr. King clearly understood what was needed to transform this. This this is the epicenter of worldwide imperialism. I don't consider myself a stranger. I've been with
3: 1199 so many times in the past that I consider
4: myself a fellow eleven ninety nine it's not going to be transformed by one small part of the population It's going to require a broad-based mass movement that's rooted in the working class and when I say the working class I mean that in the broadest sense the working class and poor people the, the roughly ninety percent of the population that's why he understood the need to go to Memphis to send a signal to labor and to send a signal to America that this was part of the strategy required to build a movement for fundamental change in this country. He felt that he had to help downtrodden humanity. This he says himself, if you read his speeches that he gave with regard to the struggle of labor in Memphis, numbers. That's why I said go to that book, A Testament of Hope. Some of the speeches are there. Downtrodden humanity was calling on him. He had to go. This was on the trajectory of where he was trying to take this movement out of the narrow channel of civil rights and into a struggle, a broader struggle for human rights and transformation, as he said, of the entire socioeconomic system. The struggle of Dr. King is really an unfinished struggle for social transformation. Only a fraction of what he was striving for was accomplished with the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And I might add, we must not minimize that which was achieved because it was a significant achievement. Look, if it had not been for the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, many black people and poor people would have not been able to go to college. The colleges they went to, some of them openly discriminated, some of them had other ways to discriminate. We would not be able to live in homes in certain neighborhoods that we live in today because of redlining and other discriminatory real estate practices we wouldn't even be able to work certain jobs.
0: Most people don't know that King was a labor person almost from the beginning of his time in the movement. When we had the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955, the strongest uh, financial supporters that he had were the United Packing House Workers Union in Chicago, the Retail Wholesale Distributive Workers Union in New York. 1199 Hospital Workers Union in New York, and various other unions around the country. Pretty much every major campaign that King was in included unions in one way or another. What people should think about when they think about King is economic justice, what is it? Racial and economic justice, what is it? One thing about studying King is that there is so much there in a short life of somebody who died at age 39 just as Malcolm X died at 39. There's so much to learn. So I'm really glad that Coretta King and Stevie Wonder and other people got this federal legislation to have a Martin Luther King Day on his birthday. In Memphis, we always also mark April 4th when he was killed. We have big marches there. But really, it's... Something we should talk about every day of the year, <laughs> which is the legacy of, of that movement and not think of it as something in the past. It's part of us. It's part of what we do. It's part of what we need to do.
1: All right. Well, there it is. Such important, important insights. Once again, this is Manny Faces, and on behalf of our teams, I thank you for listening. Now, I've said this many times before, and I'm sure I'll say it again and again, but I always learn so much from working on these episodes with the rest of the Newsbeat crew, and this episode was no exception. I really want to give big thanks to our two incredible, incredible guests, Michael Honey and Larry Hamm. Now, as we mentioned at the top of the drop, Michael Honey is an acclaimed historian and award-winning author and scholar, whose book, Going Down Jericho Road, The Memphis Strike, Martin Luther King's Last Campaign, delving into much of what he shared with us on this episode, received the 2008 Robert F. Kennedy Book Award, among other top accolades. And from 1970 to 1976, he was also a full-time Southern Movement organizer. You can learn more about Michael Honey, his many other books and prizes, films, and much more at faculty.washington.edu forward slash mhoney. You can also contact him directly at mhoney at u.washington.edu. We really can't say enough about our man Larry Hamm. A native of Brick City, Newark, New Jersey, he's a lifelong activist who has quite literally dedicated his entire existence to fighting injustices and organizing and giving voice to the people. Become involved with this group, People's Organization for Progress, at njpop.org. Follow him on Instagram at lhamm1953. And listen to his extraordinary insights on our award-winning episode, Why We Riot institutionalized inequality racism and oppression and in our redrop of the other episode i mentioned earlier mlk what they won't teach in school the man is a relentless fighter for the people and really a living national treasure And we truly mean that quick note credit for the photo we used as art for this episode goes to ernest withers st lawrence university art gallery and as always if you are inspired by what you just heard or like me, just learn something new. Please subscribe to our Substack newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com and rate us and review us wherever you listen to pods. You can also check out usnewsbeat.com for all our past episodes, extended guest and artist bios, information about us, and much more. Remember, all of this is free, so please help us Continue doing what we do Subscribe to our subs deck Throw us a rating and review And again, if you want to send us an email You have some comments, uh, questions, suggestions Praise <laughs> USNewsbeat at gmail.com Once again, this is Manny Faces Newsbeat's co-producer, audio editor, and host From all of us at Newsbeat Manny Faces Media at MannyFacesMedia.com And our parent company HubSpot Diamond Partner Agency Mori Creative Studios At MoriCreative.com Thank you for listening. One love, power to the people. We'll be back soon. Peace. This is a Many Faces Media production.
4: Many Faces. You sick for this one.